0: the boys are back and believe it or not we got real life games that count on the scoreboard for k-state athletics coming up this week so instead of waiting until the final week of blitz month like i have done in the past i thought to myself no I need to talk to one of my favorite people in the world a couple weeks earlier. Now he is one of the hall of fame members of the K state sexy ball club. I think he is the man who knows more about every single K state athletics team than anyone else in the nation. When you see me and others praising K state HD.tv's presentation of all those games on ESPN plus, he is a massive part about that. I think he, what, in any given year could be doing play-by-play for like 18 different teams. I mean, K-State doesn't have 18 teams, but almost any team that K-State has, he could be doing play-by-play for them. It is the man. It is the myth. It is the legend. It's the guy you're going to hear all fall along in Bill Snyder family staying with those in-game updates. It is Brian Smaller. Brian, welcome back to the show. It's been a while since we talked. It was it was before the you know K-State women's basketball game where they got a big postseason victory. How was your summer? How was rest of your spring? Just how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, man. And what an intro like that. I am, I am greatly flattered by all that. And unnecessary, but I appreciate it nonetheless. That's why I come on is that uh, I get to hear stuff like that. It gives me a nice little ego boost uh, before the season starts. No, I'm good. It's been great. Uh, of course, summer uh, filled with realignment talk, which I know we'll get to at some point, but uh, I think we'll not ever evade that for the next 10 years. But it's good and we're excited and ready to go we're we're jazzed up over on this side to get going again with games and have the bill rocking and Boozer family park and and soccer and, and volleyball and Bramwich and everything else so excited to get it going
0: before we get to it real quick uh the baseball team while maybe a disappointing big 12 season regular season they're making noise in the big 12 tournament and again uh you know, how fun was it to see them kind of reel off some wins down there? I think it was in uh, Texas this year. Uh, how fun was it to see that? And, you know, you got to think with as how does they get in that tournament? One of these days, they're just going to pop off and win the whole thing.
1: Well, I joked with Pete Hughes afterwards that I said that nobody wants to play K-State in the Big 12 baseball tournament. Two years in a row, they've made the semifinals coming through the backs out of the bracket in, in an improbable way. I mean, just not a team that. During the regular season could, for whatever reason, get it going, but then hit it at the right time and have just been just a whisker away from playing for a championship and you play for the championship. You win it. You're in the tournament. So uh, I think the good news is, is that they are well versed and a lot of the guys that are coming back are are battle tested when it comes to that Big 12 tournament. The goal now, though, is to avoid being relegated to a, a, a seed where you're having to play to the backside because you're playing a top seed early on and i mean if you're in that seven eight six seven eight spot and you're playing one of the top three teams in the league you're playing a top 10 team and you lose that first game in the big 12 tournament it's difficult to come to the backside so he joked right back that he said the goal is to not have to have to win all these games during the week we want to get to the top spot so Uh, that's their goal but no everybody had fun and my family was able to join me for that week down there in Arlington and they had a blast and that's two years in a row now where my kids have just become huge K-State baseball fans uh, because it's so much fun each day you're winning and you're proving people wrong and uh, you're kind of there by yourselves it's you against the world and it's uh, it plays right into that K-State fan chip on the shoulder type of mentality.
0: Definitely and later on in this athletics year we will talk to Brian again about uh, the big women's basketball season that we'll have coming up. And this spring, we'll talk to him about baseball as well. But before we get to the fall sports, guys, Charlie Hustle is sponsoring this week of Blitz Month. If you guys love a local company, if you love some of these throwback shirts out there, Charlie Hustle is kicking off their college road show this week in manhattan it's their first stop that's right k-state fans charlie hustle will be bringing on the cats all week long with a massive campus capsule launch and it's going to drop at the end of this week on friday that is august 19th k-staters make sure you follow alongside the roadshow through all their social media channels and drop a follow on them because hey I'm just going to tell you there might be a giveaway sponsored by Charlie Hustle and Bosco's boys later on. I've seen the collection. You're going to eat them up. So let's show Charlie Hustle what that purple pride is all about. Okay. Let's get into it. Uh, K-State women's soccer, uh, they've already completed their preseason exhibition games. They split, uh, two games and this is life post ends. You know, it, it, we start off the season, This Thursday, 7 p.m. versus Northwestern. Then a few days later on Sunday, they play Northern Colorado. While Entz is gone, Marissa Weichel is back. She scored six goals last year. Kyler Goins, four goals last year. Uh, Is K-State going to just really be leaning on these two to push forward and score goals this season?
1: Uh, yes and no. I, I think those two are, are are certainly big critical pieces here. Um, Marissa Weichel uh, has shown that she's more than just being um, the love interest of Adrian Martinez, but uh, has also shown that she is a tremendous addition to this team and was a, a big boon to this roster when she came in from Texas Tech here a couple of years ago. And I think Kyler Goins, transfer from Arkansas a few years ago, will also take a step forward. But you know, replacing Ants, who was a, a transformational star for the program, won't be done by one person. And I, I think you hear people say that all the time. The other thing I think you hear from time to time, and you guys are familiar with this, is that when you have somebody like that, like Ants, that is just, you know, so good and so dominant that at times it can, it can prevent others from stepping up their game because they... they I don't want to say stand around and watch, but you're, you're always focused on, right. How do we get the ball to Ents? How do we get the ball to her in space? How do we get to her in a point to score? How do we get to all that? And now you have less of that. Now everyone's going to have to raise their game. And I think you've seen it in the preseason already back in the spring. uh, The offensive attack was a little bit better, a little bit more cohesive. I think just because there wasn't a focus on, we got to get Ents the ball. And um, to that end. So I, I see a number of players stepping up and, and the one that I would add to that list is Ada Anderson, uh, a young lady. That's a, it'll be a sophomore this year. She's out of Park Hill South in Kansas city. And I think they really like her up front. Um, so uh, it'll, it'll take a lot of people stepping up, but I, I think, you know, as crazy as it is to say, I, I think and not being there may help them in that, in that venture.
0: Yeah. And, and also it's going to allow probably a little bit more, creativity and space for the team because you pointed it out you could see it during points last year where it's okay look up find Ents, and you know have her put on her maestro hat uh, now you're probably going to see a little bit more creativity you're going to see the ball spread out a little bit more and we, we did see that in the preseason um, so hopefully that That sees the offense take a step forward. Um, And while there were some stretches last year where scoring wasn't, uh, you know, at its best, they only kept one clean sheet last year in Big 12 play. Who will be the defensive anchors and who are they going to look to to kind of step up that defense in 2022?
1: Well, I, one, it starts with the goal in, in the in the goal spot. I think Elena Lurmeyer showed that she could really step up and, and be somebody that can be a dependable keeper uh, in the Big 12. I think they like where her progression is at. The return of Rachel Harris, I know there's been a feature on her, written by D. Scott Fritchin, um, Certainly adds some depth in that spot and the keeper position. So it starts there, one. But then, two, it starts with your center backs. And K-State's had a little bit of injury and illness there, but I suspect that Jesse Loren and Kenzie Gillespie, who started there most of the year last year, will be back as the center backs for K-State. They've toured with a couple of different lineups in exhibition play, but I I suspect those two will be anchoring back there. And that's a great place to start. uh, Two veteran captains there in the sense that Gillespie started every game as a freshman last year, and Loren uh, now in her second school for being at Colorado has been around the block and is a huge target on set pieces up on the front when they bring her forward from that center back spot. What's interesting though, Scott is that in the two exhibitions, K-State's kind of toyed with a little bit of a different look. They have moved the Weichel sisters back to the cornerbacks or the wingback position and had them use their speed on the outside, left and right, left from uh, Maddie and, and the right side from Marissa and use their speed to support the offense. So that'll be an interesting change. There's a couple of teams in the league that have really built their, their, success on using a lineup like that without uh, K-State historically has been a very more defensive minded wingbacks uh, around that four person back line and, and cornerbacks. Um, there are other schools like West Virginia, TCU notably, uh, Baylor that really utilize speed at that position and take their forwards and move them to that corner spot and uh, use them as support in the offense. K-State's done that now through two exhibition matches. Uh, it'll be curious to see if that continues or if that but it, it seems like that's a philosophy change for K-State this year that they're gonna move those two back and then really rely on those center backs to to cover a lot of ground.
0: That will be something to keep an eye on Thursday and Sunday on ESPN plus. Again, I love ESPN plus because you know I I I get to watch all all the women's soccer, all the volleyball, which we'll touch on later. Real quick, I didn't have this in the outline, but they are changing uh, some of the rules in NCAA soccer, they're getting rid of the overtime period and going straight to a draw after 90 minutes. Are you a fan with that? Or do you wish they were going to keep around overtime for regular season?
1: Well, from a t- I, I'm, I can see both sides of it from uh dramatics on, on television. There's nothing like a golden goal, right? I mean, there's like, nothing like
0: you in that win in Lawrence. Oh my.
1: It's, it's amazing. Now, the flip side of that there's uh there's no nothing worse nor more of a gut punch than taking a golden goal loss and last the last two years k-state's been so close to that big Twelve tournament cutoff line and it feels like they have played some of the top teams in the league great for 90 minutes and then they get into overtime and the superior talent of the other team just wears them down and, and they'll lose it in in an overtime or a double overtime so as I look at it from a K-State perspective, I think this is a I think this could be a benefit for K-State, and um, and that if you're just trying to get points and, and and team point just like MLS or anything other you know any other soccer table that you follow, if you're just trying to get points and and move up the standings and get yourself in position to qualify to the tournament. Grabbing a point instead of taking the loss at home or on the road is you'll take it. And I think if Mike Dabini were here, he'd say the same thing. So I see it as a plus because you can throw all you got now in 90 minutes not to worry about the postseason or the uh, you know saving somebody for extra time until the postseason.
0: So there are 12 seniors on this team. D. Scott and wrote a nice piece for the K-State Sports Extra, which you can find on the K-State Sports website. And the stated goal, and it's been this goal for a while, is being that first squad to make it to the Big 12 tournament. They were right on the cusp last year before losing that 1 0 game to Iowa State. What does this team need to do to get over that hump and get to, you know, postseason play in the Big 12 tournament?
1: Well, I think it goes back to what we talked about a little bit before. And it sounds very simple, but it's, it's just finding a way to get into the back of the net more consistently. They, they have to be more dynamic up front. And Mike DeBeany is a former target nine forward himself. Um, it drives him crazy <laughs> that they can't be more of an offensive weapon uh, in the league, but that takes talent. And, you know, it takes time to get there. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, a couple of years ago, I, I had a conversation with Nikki Izzo Brown, who's a legendary coach at West Virginia. Uh, I mean, a, a program that went, she built it from the ground up and, and they've been, they played for a national championship. They've been in the final four and um, annually a top 25 team and, and the conversation centered around the difficulties and the challenges in coaching and notably the, it was discussion about what's harder, starting a program from scratch Or keeping a program, uh, a a top flight program with the expectations, keeping it top 25 or keeping it every year uh, competing for a conference or or a national title. And she said it was both are very difficult. But in that conversation, she added, if there was one thing she would not want to do today, it would be start a program from scratch in the Big 12. And she said, it would be too difficult. It's just that the league is too good. The talent is so good and the amount of time you have to spend to get talent. Now this was kind of pre the explosion of the transfer portal. So that's helped speed it up, but you also lose kids out of the portal. So it might be a wash any so, but anyway, that's all that to say the simplest factor is K-State's talent has increased greatly up front, but they have to find a way to be consistently scoring goals because Goal prevention is one thing you can hang your hat on that and try and win with a counter punch, but in the end, you got to be able to line up against some of these teams that are just unbelievably tough uh, and dynamic up front, and find a way to score and and somewhat and pace them and, and match pace. I mean, Texas, C C U is unbelievable. They're they're so very very good and very well coached. Eric Bell, what a what an unbelievable coaching star he is. And then uh, Texas, of course, has got like three members of Team Canada on the team. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, year in, year out, top 25 programs. Iowa State, Oklahoma, uh, just went through a couple of coaching changes here the last two years, and they've seen a significant talent increase. And Kansas is going to be better this year. So everybody's better. Uh, it'll be a very tough grind in the league for K-State, no doubt, uh, this year. But uh, if they're to get where they're hoping to get postseason, they got to find a way to score even more. they did last year which was a as you said a school record season
0: also if you guys go out to boozer family park there's a jumbotron out there so you know get out to some games get out to some matches celebrate it again it's a fun 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 product out there because again the passion they put in there and then you you can say what you want about the the performances you've never been able to say a mike to beanie team doesn't leave it all all out there on the field and also Hey, like I said, I'll be here in Shawnee. I'll be watching on ESPN Plus Thursday and Sunday. And I I think we'll get to hear you on play-by-play again this year, correct?
1: That's correct. Uh, Myself and Oscar Montenegro will be doing the ESPN Plus broadcasts of of those events and and looking forward to those. That'll be starting uh, here pretty quick. Um, We'll be cranking those up but uh, this Thursday and then again on Sunday. And Just for you, by the way, uh, I should point out that Socktoberfest on september 30th against tcu is the event of the year for k-state soccer 20 dollars ticket package get a pre-match beer german food tasting and a 16 ounce power cat branded pilsner glass if you come to the match against big 12 champion tcu horn frogs on september
0: 30th oh my goodness i well okay so i i'm that's a friday right or is that a Thursday?
1: September 30th. Let me look. That is a, yeah, that's a Friday night.
0: All right. And Hey, and then K-State takes on Texas tech in right. football that very next day. So I might have to, I might have to do this. I, I have to say this uh, because they, they do it for some men's uh, basketball, women's basketball. They've done some for volleyball, the staff that puts together some of these pregame events at K-State second to none. I, I've gone to almost every bas- men's basketball pregame event. I've done some of the women's events. Uh, I, I don't think – because you guys – there there have been some soccer events. I haven't been to any of those yet, but I'm I'm putting that on my calendar. I'm probably going to buy my ticket for Socktoberfest uh, right after we get done with this episode. So I'm <laughs> I, I'm super happy you told me that. And also, any bonehead I'll, – I'll say this. Any bonehead who buys a ticket to Socktoberfest – shoot me a dm of the receipt i'll send you a bosco's boys koozie to take with you granted the pilsner glass is going to be cooler but i'll make sure you have a koozie as well so do you get a partake yeah. if you're going to call the game no
1: uh i've thought about it i, I don't know if they want a harry carey style broadcast of uh of soccer or not um there might be some words that slip out that probably shouldn't uh i've come close to that in years past i don't want to have a repeat
0: That's why you guys won't give me the uh, the man-on-the-street pregame to the pregame show uh, leading into you and Ian.
1: That got serious conversations up here. Let me tell you, that had a serious, that was an actual meeting that was held to to discuss whether or not that could be a feasible project. I'm not willing to concede that it's dead yet, but we'll see what we can, we'll see where it leads.
0: Well, even if it's not me, even if you like, all right, we have some actual people, some talent, some folks, some (laughs) students who, who actually want to get into this. And it's just not a guy with a podcast. I think that would be fun. I think you know a thirty-minute lead-in, and it could even be pre-taped. You know, you know, right when folks start showing up, get, get a you know fun little conversation going out there in the out there in the stands or out there in the parking lot. I think it'd be great, even if it's not me, because you guys got some talented students up there. I think that would be a lot of fun.
1: We'll look into, it. I, I, no doubt. And like I said, that's why we had the meeting about it and talked about it. It, it we have we have been very lucky. Uh, through our halls in the last couple of years to have some great and talented young people and broadcasters. In fact, we were just talking about this last week. We've had four students that have been plucked out of our ranks, both on camera and behind the camera, uh, early from school. That They will finish their school online because they have been hired by professional franchises to go and work. Uh, Catherine Benhart, who was with us last year, now with the Orioles, um just it, it goes on and on it's just amazing some of the talent we're popping out of here and um it's a credit to our staff Andy leaps and all the folks here at case at hd tv they're doing uh, some in- incredible work with student athlete uh, students and uh i'll just tease it that we've got something in the pipeline um with our our little department that we uh, hope to announce in the next couple of months but um that will make us further a destination point for any any person that well, a young person that wants to get into broadcasting or into any sort of uh, broadcast media development behind the camera on the camera. Uh, we're pretty excited about where we're headed based on our track record.
0: That is a great little teaser. After I stop recording, I'm gonna try to put your feet to the fire and see if you'll uh, tell me. And I, I I promise I can keep a secret. I promise. <laughs> uh, but but we'll move on to volleyball next. Uh, first exhibition game is Friday versus Wayne State on August 19th, and then opening up the season in Bramlage for the K-State Invitational versus uh, Florida A&M, NC State, and Sam Houston. That'll take place on the 26th and 27th of August. I remember when it was the, was it the Varney's Invitational back yeah. in the day? Oh yeah, man, yeah. I used to, I used to eat that up on Fridays. I'd finish up class, go to our Hearn and watch some volleyball, and, and, and truthfully, I, I love watching women's soccer. I love women's basketball as well, but if I had to pick one of the quote-unquote non-revenue, quote-unquote Olympic, I love baseball as well, but if I could pick only one sport to watch uh, K-State compete in outside of men's basketball and football, it'd be volleyball. So that's where my heart's at. Um, what sort of an off-season has it been for Susie Fritz's you know ball club, especially leading into this K-State Invitational? Uh, just kind of walk me through what the big off-season focus has been.
1: Well, I think for them it was uh, finding depth and balance to work alongside uh, Aaliyah Carter, which I know we'll talk about in a minute. But um, they, they lost some key pieces to graduation and into the portal. But um, so they're a little thin in depth. I think their numbers are a little bit lower. I think than what they would want. Uh, that's not to say they don't—they're not talented. Their frontline pieces are really good. Uh, I think that'll keep them in the mix for the postseason. But uh, barring injuries or any of that stuff, right? COVID is always the looming its uh, ugly head around the corner. But uh, on paper, uh, if the frontline players all play out now, um, they, they do have some development issues, which we'll get into here in the next uh, couple of questions. But I think they, you know, starting with a freshman setter, that, that'll be the key part is trying to get rhythm with her and, and put some pieces around Carter so that the people aren't just loading up on her.
0: So th- they were able to get back to postseason play last year, which is good, but they ended the season super rough losing five out of the last six games, going six and 10 in conference play. Was it as simple as the big 12 being such a great conference as to why they could go nine and three in the non-con, then six and 10 in conference play? Or was there something else going down the stretch? And I think you hinted while, you know, big 12, great conference. It sounds like there might be something they can point to.
1: Yeah, I think there were some lessons learned, no doubt, down the stretch. I think the two that really hurt them were the KU losses, um, you know, right at home. The Iowa State ones. They played six, so the final six matches of the season, there they went to Iowa State. It's always a tough place to play. Iowa State, I think, is going to be one of the teams to watch this year. And then Texas, of course, is a national champion contender every year. Like three players from Team USA on there. I, they're they're unbelievable. So. Those were not unexpected losses. Iowa State, you were hoping for a split, but if they lost, you're like, yep, that's part of it. But playing KU at home, you kind of thought, boy, K-State should be able to take care of business. What, what you didn't really realize until we saw the Jayhawks is just how good they have quickly turned things around. They hit a year or two during COVID where they lost some talent, and they went like K-State after a bunch of freshmen, And uh, K State's class of Carter and Fernholes and Morris have been pretty good. I would venture to say that the Kansas class is more balanced across the board. And specifically at Setter, they hit a home run. So, what we saw in that match against those two matches against the Jayhawks, they were hitting on all cylinders. They were playing great. K State was a little bit doubting themselves, maybe feeling the pressure, needing to know that, uh, thinking that they had to win either one of those to get the postseason. And it bit them. So, so part of it's the schedule. I think part of it was also the lesson learned of how to handle the pressure. And we'll see. I think it's been a motivator coming into this year. I mean, nothing's guaranteed. Just because you made the tournament last year doesn't mean you're going to make it this year. And they uh, realize they're, it's there for their taking. They, they got to go out and get it.
0: So you, you touched on it. Leah Carter was a unanimous All-Big 12 preseason player coming back. I think she had unanimous first-team honors for uh, postseason last year as well. Uh, she's going to continue to be one of the greatest outside hitters at K State. How much higher can her ceiling go, or is it more of just sustaining it through the entire season?
1: Well, barring injury, i I expect her to to earn All American honors this season. I think that would be the next progression in her development. She's now part of that's her teammates, right? As great as she is if there is an effective balance across the attack and for people who don't know about volleyball, I'm not going to get into all the technical stuff here, but it it's, it, it taken me, it's taken me 20 years to kind of pick it up from Liz uh, who does the games with us and, and Jim McLaughlin, our former coach, and then Susie. But in essence, you think of it like, uh, uh, and, and like a football team. Okay. If you have a star wide receiver, people are going to try and take that star wide receiver away from you. Unless you have other weapons that can at least balance out, the defense, and in this case, the defense is the block. The people that go up to block, and they're just going to sit on Carter, knowing that she's going to get the line share of the ball. And if you can prove that you can go to Fernholz, Katie Fernholz in the middle, who's a fantastic player, or Haley Warner, the veteran on the right side, who's back for her final COVID year. You need to have production consistently for them. You have to have a setter that's good enough to be able to recognize, go to those spots. And with the freshman setter, Ava Legrand is from Nebraska. I think will be a, a very good piece, but she's going to take her a little bit to get used to it. Those are all things you got to work on during this time and in, in the non conference to get yourself ready for the big 12. So the pressure isn't necessarily all on Carter's shoulders to live up to those, that hype. Uh, some of it will be your teammates, but there are times when K-State's going to need a kill and everybody's going to know in the gym where the ball's going and Carter's got to go get it. And she's proven to this point, she's able to do that. So I expect her to get uh, a lot more publicity and all American honors. I think she'll be in the running for it by the end of the year.
0: So the other player on the team who at least received the most uh, big 12 accolades last year is Mackenzie Morris, who had multiple uh, conference defensive player of the year honors. How important will it be for her to take that you know next step and uh, you know, push this team forward, especially on the defensive end.
1: So using the same analogy of a football team, the 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 liberos and the defensive passers are, are kind of like the offensive line. And so they, they're the ones that largely go unnoticed unless they mess up. <laughs> it's like a lineman. Um, well, except
0: for the well, different colored jersey all eyes go there. So that,
1: that's true. You can you can pick it up. But if they if they don't make a great dig and pass to get your setter in a good spot then the setter is forced, the only option they have is, I just got to get this ball, because you only have three touches, right, to get it over. So the oftentimes you'll just see a setter, if they're running for their life, you know that means the team's not passing well, okay? And that means the setter is just throwing the ball to the left side of the, of the court out to your number one outside hitter, your number one wide receiver, right? So it's Carter. Well, that makes you very predictable. And another team's goal, usually with their serve or with the way they're attacking you, is to try and get you out of out of system and out on the run. So the only thing you can do is just throw it to the left side. And so the team just huddles up and blocks it and smashes you down. That's that's volleyball summed up very succinctly. Right. So the goal is if you have those passers in the back row that can really dig and pass, they can really not just get underneath the ball in a hard shot, but get it controlled to the center in the center of the floor. So they can run any sort of offensive weapon. They can run a quick set to the middle, or they can run a slide all the way to the other side of the pin. That's when things are clicking right. And if there's a concern, I think it would be that K-State's pretty thin in their defensive passers. They only have three on the roster. They've got Morris, Hinkle, and Ramsey. Now, I think all three are very good, but you can't play all three all the time you have to rotate each position around. So that means like Carter's going to have to place in back row, whoever the OH two or the other outside hitter besides Carter is going to have to place in back row. And that puts a lot of pressure on a Morris or, or a Ramsey and Hinkle is the backup setter. So she's splitting her reps, at setter. It's kind of like the quarterback position she's playing two. So there will be some pressure uh, on that spot. If you're, if you're a, wanting to know why a volleyball team is surviving or or not or if you want to ask you want to see if Susie fritz if you want to give the respect of Susie fritz if you ask her a question about coach how's your passing going you're digging in your passing you're serving passing going right now she will respect you so much anybody listening out there if you see Susie in the part in the in the shopping center in the grocery store and you ask her that question she'd be like oh you're a big volleyball fan and understand that nuance of the game because that will be the big key factor for them this year is fatigue and what happens in that back row to be able to set everybody up and get the ball to the weapons.
0: You've mentioned some of them, but are there any other names you want to shout out as folks listening to this should really keep an eye on when this volleyball season ramps up?
1: All right, so paired with Carter, you always need another outside hitter because in the rotation someone's got to fill opposite of her. Uh, on that left side and so Elena Baca is the senior transfer from St. Mary's she's an outside hitter it was an a West Coast conference pick in her career out there and I she will be the first option uh, to earn that spot um, uh, there's a freshman from Nebraska Shaley Myers that also could get a role out there but those would be the two uh, Katie Fernholz clearly is is a tremendous talent in the middle a young lady from South Dakota Morris in the back row Warner um, but there it's a it's a thinner roster They they really need to stay healthy um, they need to they need a little bit of luck to bounce their way but uh, the development of Baca on the outside would help balance out Carter no doubt and then uh, if it's Baca or if it's Myers whoever wins that OH2 if they can also play six rotations that'll help ease the burden in that back line for for a, a, a defense that's a little thinner when it comes to the number of passers
0: yeah. And it sounds like I could probably answer this question for you when it would be being healthy and having some folks who can go all six rotations, but what does case they need to do to get back to postseason play for back to back seasons?
1: Well, the, the conference this year is, a, is, um, is a little top heavy. So, you you, you know, Texas at the top is unbelievable. Uh, Baylor will, will always be up there with them. Kansas is going to be really good this year. So those three are really your top, top teams. And then Iowa state, K State, Texas Tech are all kind of at next tier down. There are some that think Iowa State could step it up. I think if K State can really stay healthy and, and and avoid some sort of a letdown, um, or, or really some struggles with their freshman setter, if their freshman setter really hits it and gets going away, the they think they they think that she can Lagrand, who was a high school All American, then uh, then they'll be right there in the mix in the middle of the pack. And in this conference, you know, seven got in last year. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise, but to get seven in because the bottom of the conference is really pretty, pretty light. Um, Oklahoma state does not have volleyball, ball, but TCU, West Virginia, Oklahoma, are all rebuilding. Uh, and so you, you're going to be able to pick up some wins. The problem is that your RPI takes a hit. So for the wildcats, it'll be critical for them to, to show well against the top of the league. And if they can find a way to split a, a couple of home and away, and by the way, after COVID, so COVID, you were playing two matches at one site the last two years. Now we're back to the normal Wednesday, Saturday, home and away schedule. So you'll play everybody in the league once, either home or away, and then you'll play them in the second half of the league, just like basketball, a home and away. So uh, now you got to find a way to win at home against somebody like an Iowa State or or a Baylor, uh, you know, and and see if you can steal a couple on the road and help you out your arc ride that way. And that, and that will help them, Scott, get to where they want to be back in the postseason.
0: Yeah, you mentioned getting seven in was a surprise. I melted down pretty hardcore after we lost <laughs> both games versus uh, KU. Um, so I was very surprised. I, I think uh, there's some old takes, exposed uh, tweets from me after the second KU loss thinking, especially blowing that you know, 2-0 set lead, uh, thinking we were out of postseason play. I melted down very hard after that one, probably more than I should have, but Hey, that's how I fan. Um, I, I was going to ask you You and I touched on it last year, double round Robin home and away is back. And I, I know it brought a interesting dynamic with uh, you know, having both those games. Are you excited to be able to uh, see the team get back out on the road, play everyone home in a way or, or in your heart of hearts? Are you like, man, maybe we had something with those, you know, double headers,
1: you know, I didn't mind the doubleheaders. Um, I kind of liked being able to adjust match to match, but I can see why the coaches voted against it just based on the results, because there were very few times where if you lost the opener that you'd rebounded and won the second match, it seemed like your best bet was to win the opener against a team that was more talented than you or, or whatever. But if, if you were trying to have a puncher's chance in that second match, If you lost the first one and you were already a little bit out talented by the other team, you had no chance in the second one. And I think that kind of held up. So I I think there was, in some respects, I think a a desire, especially from the top teams in the league. Like if you're Baylor and you're trying to win a conference title away from Texas, you don't want to have to get stuck in a cycle where you have to play two matches in Austin and don't get them at home. So I I can see the argument, especially like this year, like we just talked about K-State and they're trying to make the tournament. If you had to play two at Iowa State again or two at Texas Tech, that, that's a tall order to try and split those when you desperately need those RPI wins. So getting them home and away, I think it's better. Um, you know, and in the Big 12, we charter everywhere, almost everywhere for uh, Wednesday night matches. So it, the travel is not that big of a deal. That's not always that way. Pac-12, that's not the way it is. Uh, you know, they they commercial flight it. So um, it's difficult when you're not doing that. But here in the Big 12, we, we do it different. So it's a, it's a little bit of a nicer – nicer case.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, just imagine UCLA going out to play a Tuesday, uh, volleyball game with Rutgers. So, Hey, whatever. Uh, we, we might touch on conference realignment right there at the end. Final question. Then we'll move on uh, volleyball. This is the final season playing in Bramlage after being in a Hearn for so long, uh, which I love seeing games there, understand why they moved to Bramlage. Uh, I have seen uh, volleyball in Bramlage. It's also as fun, but we are one season away from being in one of the premier volleyball specific arenas in the entire nation. What's that done to the excitement around the volleyball program there in Manhattan?
1: I think it's really built into it. It's, it's a tangible thing. It's, it's just like baseball and soccer when you when you can actually show steel and construction workers and hard hats and stuff going on that it's it's there. It's happening instead of a just, hey, yeah, you know what? We're going to build a new arena someday. Um, I think that has really played a lot. And listen, I, I'm with you on a hearn. It was, it's awesome. Um, I, going back into a hern, just the smell of a hern, just going into it. <laughs> I don't know if it's all the sweaty bodies over the years that have been in there, uh, guys and gals for uh, since the 50s. But uh, just walking into a hern brings back instantaneous memories for me of calling volleyball there, um, uh, all the way back in the late 90s. But yeah, to now, but it's it really had the noise factor the heat the history were all great but it had served its time and uh, the program was at a point where it really couldn't advance uh, anymore being in a hern uh, locker room space i could never host another tournament ncaa could never host again it just didn't have the space and the facilities and um, you know it just wasn't very fan friendly anymore but uh, we love history, and the renovation costs would have been significant. And for those that don't know, Ahern is not owned by the athletic department. It's owned by on-campus. So the athletic department actually rents Ahearn uh, to play in there. So um, I think the desire was always to get everything in the same footprint over here. And this new arena is going to be unbelievable. Uh, it, it'll be, a, a, in some respects, used for other things as well. Uh, I think Jeff Minis already asked a hundred times if they could play basketball games in there <laughs> with the answer is no, but uh, it, it is going to be really cool. Well-deserved for this volleyball program, which is one of the big 12's, uh all-time winningest. And uh, it's going to make it uh, on good footing to grow even more.
0: I should probably stop asking Gene about bringing in beer sales and exit reentry, and be super nice to you to see if I could get like a behind the scenes tour here soon of the volleyball arena. So I'm I'm gonna be on my best behavior to see if I can make it on that list.
1: That's all right. Hey, you know what? We mentioned uh we mentioned the Socktoberfest for soccer. There is a Spikes and Seltzers event for volleyball this year on October twenty eighth. It's the day before another football game. It's a Friday night. Um site Spikes and Seltzers, and you get uh, one general admission ticket, K-State branded koozie, and of course, seltzer tasting along with food and fun in the Shamrock Zone. So
0: there we go. All right. Same offer goes to all boneheads. If you buy a ticket to that, send me a receipt. Uh, Again, I don't know about the K-State branded koozies. I think ours are pretty cool. So I'll send you a K-State Brandon Koozie, if you buy that as well. Let's get into football predictions and then we'll let Brian get back to his job. But before we do, remember Charlie hustle is kicking off their campus tour with K-State. They're going to drop a whole new range, what they're calling their campus camp- capsule on Friday, the 19th this week. They're sponsoring this week of Blitz Month. Stay tuned to the Bosco's boys Twitter account. We might just have some shirts to give away to all the boneheads. So make sure you're following us and Charlie Hustle. All right, let's get to it. This is the most open-ended Blitz Month we've ever done. I think you've been part of every single version of this back when it was just a week. Uh, So no restrictions on any of these. There are going to be some follow-up questions. So the first one, no restrictions. Who is going to be that offensive MVP?
1: Uh, This is Deuce Vaughn. I mean, Adrian Martinez certainly would have an argument. It might be, but K-State fortunes will hinge on the success of the two legs and power of Deuce Vaughn along with his speed.
0: We've had a few Adrian Martinez so far, but there's been a lot of Deuce Vaughn. And again, I think I've told this story, uh, I told it last year, and I I sung your praises the first time. Uh, You were the very first guy, I recall, mentioning Deuce Vaughn being a stud for the breakout player of the year back in that uh, COVID season. So... I, I, I'm going to listen to you forever on all these. (laughs) I don't know if you, I don't know if you have a perfect record, but you were the first one. You were one of the last, you were, you were the only one who said Deuce Vaughn that blitz month blitz week. I can't remember how many we did, Uh, but you were the only one. So uh, until the end of time, you're always going to have that distinction.
1: I'll I'll cling to it. I'll, I'll take it and hang on to it forever. Cause there's a lot of like the guys up here will tell you that I I make a lot of wrong choices and predictions on other things. So I'll, I'll, crow about the one i got right for sure
0: i'll clip that for you and send it to you one of these days so you can just you know wear it on like a little uh you know oh man i'm blanking on like the little code you can snap um yeah what, what's the name qr code qr code there we go there we go see i i'm the millennial you're you know gen x probably you might still be a millennial i don't know how old you are uh but we'll move on so outside of a or deuce and you mentioned adrian who might be the third horseman to go along with those two
1: Oh, man, I badly want to name Sammy Wheeler here, um, but I don't want to jinx him um, because he has dealt with so much injury in his career. Uh, I almost just want to kind of let him lie and let him let him do his thing as I really oh man, he's so talented and. If he's healthy, I think just with the way the offense is going with Colin Klein, I think they're going to be unpredictable. I think they're going to incorporate that spot a little bit more. And he's such an X factor because he's a, he's a, he's a hybrid. He's the tight end and also a receiver. And um, so I badly wanted him, but I I won't say him, you know, and, and while most would pick uh, Malik Knowles, I think in this spot, I'm going to go with a little bit outside the box and say Cade Warner. And the reason why would be, I think in the bowl game, you started to see him kind of feel a little bit more comfortable with the way the offense was being run. And I think that's only going to grow more, uh, I think, with one more year. And then I think his natural relationship with Adrian Martinez, I think they just have a, you know, what they've been playing together for a little while. You can already tell in the practice field that Martinez is looking for him Uh, just kind of knows where he's going to be. So I think Cade's numbers are going to be up. So if you're going to go with another guy that's going to have good numbers, I think it'll be Cade Warner
0: would be great to see Sammy Wheeler get that because again uh, he kind of follows the path of some of the all-time greats at K-State Kansas kid maybe slept on a little bit recruiting wise comes in as one position because he was a quarterback moves to tight end so I'll be rooting for him and again he has that big play potential but I like the Cade Warner shout out you know again you know I think Cade you know, made a couple jokes on social media or at least commenting on some posts about, hey, Adrian, come on down to Manhattan. Let's go to a bowl together. So and then the, he brought Will Honus as well. So it'd be fun to maybe see all three of those former Nebraska guys go to a big time bowl all the corn huskers are at home this holiday season once again. That is Scott McFarland saying that, not Brian Smoller. Uh let's move <laughs> on to defense. This one has been split 50-50. I think there's a handful of guys who can have it. I think there's two that are leading it, but who will be the defensive MVP?
1: Uh I'm I'm a hundred percent sold on Deuce Green, uh, Daniel Green uh, here. Um uh if if people haven't figured this out yet, they will by the end of the year that he is he is one of the premier linebackers, not just not at K-State, but in the Big 12 and uh, maybe in the country. He, This guy's a stud. I don't understand why he doesn't get more publicity than he does. He is all over the field. He's a super smart player, um, can do it all. I mean, he's not just a one-trick one pony, so to speak, like just a cover guy or maybe just a run-you-down space type of guy. He's got it all. He's got strength, power, um, can stop the run, uh, can go rush the quarterback, I love Daniel green a ton and uh, I'm glad he's back. I am so glad that he decided to come back as I was, I was at the end of the year. I was like, well, this guy, he could be a pro. I, I don't know if he'll be, he'll be going, but uh, he would be the guy that I would pick uh, hands down uh, Daniel green.
0: I believe technically he could even come back for his COVID season next season. I'm not going to, I'm not going to count on that, but I, I think technically he, he could still come back for one more, but I think he might be cashing checks this time next year. Uh, also again, everyone, uh, I love Felix as well, but it was Daniel green who led the team in tackles for loss last year. Um, if you're going to throw a dark horse into that race, who would you say would be the dark horse for the defensive MVP?
1: Uh, I'm big on, uh, up front in, uh, in the trenches being the key to success. I, I would not say Felix, but I would say Nate Matlack would be the guy that you want to keep an eye on this year. I, you know, he played, quite a, he was my pick last year to kind of, to, be the young guy to watch and um, I think this year especially with the much attention being paid towards Felix and Eli Huggins is going to draw a lot of attention up front uh, um, I think Nate Matlack could be poised for have a big year for K-State just uh, you know people are going to probably single coverage him and that would be a mistake because I think he's uh, right in the mold of the guys that like Felix uh, Especially if Duke gets back and is 100%, then you got three guys that are just rotating out there that I don't know how you stop that. I I have no idea how you would line up as a defense. You have to get rid of the ball so fast uh, to be able to, to not you, – because you spend any time back there, one of those three guys is going to get you. Um, so uh, Nate Matlock would be the dark horse, I would say, for coming up.
0: All right. So it doesn't have to be a young person anymore with all the prevalence of the transfer portal, but who is just going to be the breakout player of the year on offense? Again, it could be someone young who hasn't had a significant role, or it could be someone who has transferred in. I'll say no Adrian Martinez on this one, because we all know he's going to be a big time player, but who will you have as that breakout player on offense?
1: Uh, I will go with, uh, Hadley Panzer, Hayden Gillum, whoever wins the center spot, um, or maybe both, because the one of them could also play guard. I think both are going to be great, great offensive linemen for K State. Um, I think they're both of them are widely talented. I don't think you miss a beat with either one. And there's a lot of attention drawn to Cooper Beebe, and as well there should be, and uh, on KT Levison, who's put in a great off season, and all the rest of the guys up front. But those two guys. Gillum and Panzer have made each other better they're I think fans got to see a little bit of the personality of Gillum uh, in a social media video we put out this week um those guys are great guys and they are they are in the next group of great centers to come through K State so I would say they kind of key it all up front uh those two guys so it's kind of a that's not a tangible answer in the sense that people are not going to be look at like looking at numbers and like oh yeah but trust me uh, that's where I would point initially.
0: I know uh, Connor Riley likes to say he wants nine guys, but you got to feel good with, you know, the eight. You talked about Cooper Beebe. Taylor Portier is going to be back. Duffy has started, I think, more games uh, at right tackle than anyone on this offensive line has. Uh, you talked about the battle for center. And then, you know, the, the young gun, you know, line gang as well, going head-to-head with KT Love on that left side. Uh, there's eight guys. Again, I, I would take those eight guys and match them up against the best eight at almost any spot in the Big 12.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. And Dawson Del Forge played in twenty games. Uh, another backup guard uh, that could come in there. And Carver Willis played a couple of games. Lost a bunch of weight uh, going into this year. I think he's going to be a guy that could could help out. So no, I, I future is very bright uh, up front.
0: Definitely. All right, let's flip to the defensive side of the ball. Where again, Nate Matlack, despite getting you know robbed of a couple sack sacks against Texas Tech, uh, he he broke out big time last year. Who who are you going to put your Nostradamus? You know, hands on on the defensive side this year.
1: I'm going with Kobe Savage. I, this guy is a ball hawker. I mean, you go to practice, and it seems like every time this guy's coming away with a ball somewhere. Um, you know, I think, and really, I like all the secondary guys to be able to step up and have a role. I think there's a lot of unknowns there. I know coaches mentioned Omar Daniels uh, being a guy that has has stepped up uh, his game from his freshman campaign. Since here Mason coming back from injury, and then I think Josh Hayes will be a, a guy that will contribute. Uh, you know, Sean Robinson is not really a secondary guys, but more up now in the linebacker role. But uh, those are all guys that are just football players for lack of lack of a better description. They just they just ball. But Savage has not only a great name. um, but he's perfect name for a safety as well. ah, Unbelievable. All I can think of is Savage. It's like, Oh, he's right in the mix of the Lamar Chapman's and Mario Smith's of the world. They're going to come across and just take your head off. Right. Those are the guys that I remember at safety, Gerard Cooper, but
0: also TJ Smith, the way he was hitting in a few games last year, uh, I would not want to be like a tight end skinny post over the middle. I would, I, I mean, I'm not tall enough, but I I would say, (laughs) nah, nah, man, like let, let the, let the uh, backup come in for that play.
1: That's right. I, I link Savage. I, I I had to pick one, but I, I like uh, from what I've seen uh, from him and, and her really, and most of this stuff is not, I'm not going to practice every day. Why, why it's really, I, I'm more, my focus is more on the other stuff, but what little time of practice I've been there. And then more importantly, what you hear from the other players and what you hear from other people talking, I think Savage is going to be a guy that's going to be a player back there.
0: My favorite question for the entire kind of blitz month format what is the pendulum game of the season?
1: Well, this is going to be the Iowa State game. Uh, I think because I think most likely K-State's in a 4-1 and one record at worst, right? Maybe you're 5-0. and oh, I don't know. You go to Oklahoma. Maybe you get them because it's early. Maybe you get them. Maybe they're ready for you this time because you've gotten them so many times. Uh, um, things
0: are not going great for K State alum Brett Venables right now down in Oklahoma.
1: Now it's so who knows what happens, but let's just say you're four and one, and you're you're going to Ames, and then Iowa State. You know, it'd be hard pressed to imagine that they're better than they were last year. That they just lost so much. Now, I think Matt Campbell is good enough to have them competitive, and I think they've recruited well enough certainly to be good, and they might be they might be a better team. Who knows? but I think on paper, if you go win that game and you get to five and one and who you have left on the schedule, nine wins is, is pretty attainable. Uh, You lose that game. Well, then it becomes a lot harder to see how you're going to win at TCU at Baylor at West Virginia. Now you might win one of those games, but you may not win all three. And then it becomes a lot harder to, to think about home games with, with who you got left. So, I think that's the pendulum game. Uh, it, it also plays into the idea that K State and Iowa State have had a good little, little burgeoning rivalry here, not only on the football field but in the recruiting ranks as well. So, um, to me, that's the game of the year. Iowa State got to find a
0: way to win that one. So I'll I don't let everyone opt out, but you know I'll let you opt out of any of these. You know next three if you don't want to put your name on anything. But I will ask if you want to put it out there. What what do you have K State's record being?
1: Well, if you just go off of, of and not pie in the sky, right, and you're just, I hope they're going to win this one. But, it. Well, I, I really think k state could get to nine wins this year. I I, I think it's possible. Um, you know, it won't be easy in this league. It certainly won't. Uh, you know, I think Baylor may be a, a bit of a step down from where they were last year, but I think I really like Shapin. I really like him as a quarterback. I thought he was fantastic last year when we saw him, and um, I think Oklahoma State will be better. Uh, which is hard to say, but they were very young. I don't know if anybody remembers. They were a really young football team last year, so they got a lot of that back, uh, despite some coaches that have left. But um, I think nine wins is attainable. Now a lot of that's hinging on on health and who you catch at the right time. And does are Texas Tech and TCU truly rebuilding, or are they they going to take off in year one? So you know, do you face a West Virginia team fighting for their coach late in the season? I don't know. I don't know any of that stuff, but, uh, nine wins, I think is certainly on the table
0: nine and three with a trip down to Orlando for maybe getting to 10 wins would, I, I would sign up for that. I would take that. Um, if you want to put, put your uh, name against a big 12 championship matchup, you don't have to, like I said, I, I give you the softballs. You can opt out of anything you want, but if you, if you want to make a prediction, now's the time.
1: Uh, well, I, I'll, if I'm going to say nine wins, I would say K state would be in that championship game. Um, but I don't think it'll be Baylor. I think it might be Oklahoma State that would be the team in the championship game. I, I don't know. Again, I go back to a lot of youth and, Span- and Sanders being the most experienced quarterback back. But um, Dave Aranda certainly knows how to coach it. And if anybody can not have them drop too far off after losing what they lost, then it would be him. But uh, I think it's Oklahoma State and K-State for the title. I hope I'm right. I hope we're all in Arlington celebrating.
0: I do too, and then uh, we're going to have to bug Gene to move back that Wichita State basketball game, which is on that same day, a few hours after that game will wrap up in Arlington. So we'll wait until uh, you know late November, early December to start campaigning for that one. Uh, but the final question, again, we'll, we'll tiptoe this a little bit. What do you think the future of the Big 12 is going to look like? Technically, uh, we still have two more years of Oklahoma and Texas, we heard Brett Yormark say if there's a deal that could be done that benefits both the conference and those two schools, he would consider letting them leave early. We see some of the uh, you know angst over uh, to our neighbors on the West Coast. Uh, possibly could we see Colorado come back, the four schools, get the holy war inside the Big 12? Uh, just kind of walk me through what you see the future for the Big 12 being.
1: Well, I'll say this. And, and like you said, um, and there's only a certain amount I can say of being working for the f Department. And it's not because I have some sort of inside knowledge. It's more of in this day and age of rumor mills, you don't want to have somebody from K-State said this and then it's
0: out. Well, so Gene Taylor told me that we told UCLA and USC no when they tried to come. <laughs> so, no, I mean, obviously kidding. If folks haven't listened to the episode from Monday with Gene Taylor, please go back and listen to that. Always good to have um, you know the head honcho on. He did not say that. That was a lie. Do that not would be, try to. Start he that. would
1: say that to be funny. I, I could hear him saying that. Well, that he's, he
0: is of course, so when funny. you said he is Taylor,
1: so I thought you meant Taylor Bratt, which oh, no. seems he, to also be very apropos.
0: Taylor Bratt, you know, talk about loose cannon. I love yeah. Taylor, though.
1: No, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think the, the commissioner kind of hinted at it, but I think it's the worst kept secret in the Big 12 is that, um, you know, everybody would prefer Oklahoma and Texas to move on. Um, if ESPN is going to make it, the big 12s, you know, worthwhile to the big 12, then I think they'd be amenable to that. So just spitballing here. But if you, if you take the buyout and and you throw that money to the schools and say, Hey, we'll up your TV deal or give you a little bit more security or in your year by year payout over the next in your next contract or for the third tier streaming rights, whatever, I, it seems to me that there that makes too much sense on all fronts to, to not get done. So I would suspect that if, if you're talking about 2024, we'll be at 12 uh, with the four new schools and that we'll have Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC. That's my guess. Personal opinion only. Just reading tea leaves. But uh, And I will also say as it comes to the Pac-12 that we in the Big 12 know better than anybody that it is really hard to kill off a conference. Right, I mean the Big Twelve has been on life support. What now, three times? Yep, three times in in realignment in Big Eight, Big Twelve, some sort of variation of it, and it is really hard unless you have everybody in the league that wants not to be there, like the Southwest Conference. It's really hard to kill off a conference, so I I don't see the Pac-12 folding. I I think they will find a way to survive this, and um, they'll 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 end up with a TV deal that's somewhat respectable. Uh, I think the Big 12 will find a TV deal that's going to be beneficial. Uh, now, the next realignment wave in 2030, I think, uh, when all when the CIP comes up and yeah. and all
0: in the ACC are they 2034? So I think so, it's even beyond that.
1: Yep. Yeah, so when that when that window arrives, that's when you might see movement on a grand tectonic plate shifting scale um it seems hard to imagine that, that would happen but i never thought we'd be sitting here talking about ucla and usc and the big 10 either so um but in the immediate short term it seems improbable that the pac-12 would fold in i would love to listen conference whatever makes us better I, I and mean, one of the things i've enjoyed so much and we've already have meetings uh, with uh, in our video side the video counterparts the guys that lead the video departments, we, we all get together on an email chain and we already have talked We on our email chain. It's the eight schools that are going to be here moving on in Houston, UCF, BYU, and Cincinnati. And the camaraderie already from that group of 12 is apparent and because everybody wants the conference to survive and they all want, we're all pulling the same direction. And so it's, uh, it's great. You can share a lot of ideas and try and help each other out and, and, um, uh, that's new. That's a new thing for the league. It's it's pretty fun to to have. So whatever we can do to make us better, and I think the commissioner has already said that, is what the focus should be. And if that means whoever from Pac-12 or whatever other conference, then I'm all for it. But it's got to make the numbers work. And I have full confidence, it sounds like, in, in our commissioner that he's going to be a guy that's going to be very aware we're not just making a move to make a move. We're making a move to to make sure that everybody benefits. And uh, So I think we're in a good spot. I feel very confident about the Big 12 and very bullish, to use Gene Taylor's word, very bullish on the Big 12. Uh, but uh, to the point, put me on the fence on 2024, I think it's 12, and I think some sort of deal gets worked out, ESPN and Oklahoma and Texas.
0: Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on, previewing not only football, but soccer and volleyball as well. Boneheads, Keep your eyes and ears open for Brian over on ESPN Plus and the K-State Wildcat Radio Network basically from August until, what, May?
1: Yeah, into May once baseball season comes in. We hope it goes into June, which means you're in the full season.
0: From from May until June this upcoming year, or from August until June, let's make it so Brian is only not calling games in July and August. Let's make sure his work-life balance is a lot of work winning a lot of games. I'm just kidding. I know you're a great family man as well. Uh, that's all I have. As always, I'll give you the final words, say anything you want to the boneheads and K-State fans everywhere.
1: I'm uh, am so impressed every year with the, the fan base of K-State and how much they just love their Wildcats and passionate, um, be it a, uh, buying tickets and coming to games even during pandemics or being um, uh, an ESPN blip that send, uh, has my voicemail filled to the brim by the next morning with uh, people who are offering up uh, great creative suggestions on where to uh, place my head. So uh, I would tell you that I am super excited about the opener, family reunion, and the Ring of Honor. Um, you know, I graduated from K-State in 99, so it was fresh out of school when when a lot of these guys were playing. This group especially l roberson some of the other ones they were all around the same time that i was in school and and uh just it's a lot of guys that i went to school with are coming back um it's gonna be really cool to see them and see their names deservedly go up in the ring of honor cannot wait for that and for this entire football season it's gonna be a whole lot of fun and then we didn't even talk about men's basketball but men's and women's hoops are going to be a lot of fun this year as well i can't wait for different reasons clearly um but I'm really super excited! This could be a a, a lot of fun uh, of a year for K State. Hope everybody's ready to come and spend a lot of time in the Little Apple.
0: Yes, and we will get you back on when we start previewing basketball to really do a deep dive into the women's team and touch on the men's team as well. So you'll get your time to talk about them, talk about Mitty that recruiting class, Aoka Lee, you know the the three you know Musketeers now sophomores instead of freshmen. So lots of fun stuff going on this athletic season. So for all the boneheads, for Brian Smoller, folks, we love you guys. Be nice on the internet except for uh, to Iowa State fans and uh, Stuart Mandel. That's the list this week, those those two only. Uh, we love you guys, and we'll be back tomorrow in all of August. And guess what? All of football season, every day, we have a show for you. We'll talk to you later.
1: It's time to get set for the cat attack.
0: You can feel it coming on, for Kansas State, the feeling's growing strong. You can join in the action, this is where you want to be, with Kansas State, come on set your spirit free. Kansas State, our pride is with the cats, Kansas State, come on join.